This episode of the podcast is generously hosted by Progressive Equity Research. Visit their website at progressive-research.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Desert Island Investor. This time, Mark will be discussing his stock holding in Somero Enterprises, ticker symbol SOM, who are a US-based manufacturer of laser-guided concrete levelling machines that are used in the construction of warehouses and distribution and fulfilment centres. And this episode, Mark will be talking to us directly from Mauritius, where he's taking a well-deserved break from the winter conditions of Darwin. Okay, Mark, you recently added to your holding at £2.55. So as usual, can we have the base numbers, please? Yeah, hi, Paul. Yeah, uh, over in Mauritius, and it's good to be uh, speaking with you. Um, Just a sign of how advanced uh, desert islands are now that they come with very good Wi-Fi, don't they? So, um, yeah, recently added to my position at £2.55.5. And um, Somero have a market capitalization of £161 million, uh, a PE of 6.6, and a yield of 10 uh, 10%, and that is based on the current share price of £2.87.5. And, a half. and uh, the usual question, when were they floated and when did you first invest? Uh, they were formed in 1986 and floated in 2006, and I made my first investment back in April 2016 at £1.63. Now, that yield is uh, eye-catching, and you've described this company as a cash cow. Can you back that up with some figures, please? Yeah, well, since I initially purchased uh, Somero, I've paid out a total of uh, $2.32 in dividends. That's including a series of special dividends, or what they call in the U.S. supplementals. Uh, So Somero reporting dollars, and obviously the exchange rate over the, the last seven years has been bouncing around and and varied at the time of each payment. But if we take today's exchange rate just as a shorthand back of an envelope exercise to make a broad, a broad point, you know, it's at, at one twenty-seven, that would make uh, uh, £1.83 in dividends versus that price that I paid, uh, that original price that, you know, I, I've paid. So, you know, over the last five years, the dollar's been between uh, 107 and one and 142 you know and i originally you know paid 163 and i've had you know approximately 183 in dividends so you could say that i'm i'm in the share for nothing each episode you appear to point out some new aspect and uh, this is the case with somero as you explained that despite the shares being in your isa you haven't received the full dividend payments like your uk domiciled stocks Yes, US domicile stocks are subject to a 30% withholding tax, but through a treaty, uh, half of this can be claimed back, resulting in a net 15% reduction. So of that uh, £1.83, uh, only you know, £1.55.5 has reached me. So uh, nearly, but not quite, uh, a dividend break, uh, break even. Uh, it is a different case if the shares are held within a SIP, which is a self-invested personal pension, as under that treaty, there is no withholding tax. So if you hold this stock, it may be a consideration through which wrapper you hold it, whether it's an ISA or a SIP. Now, in order to claim that withholding tax back, you have to complete a W-8-B-E-N form uh, that has to be filled out for the IRS, the uh, US Inland Revenue Service. Is it really worth the hassle of doing that? 
Uh, sounds very frightening, but it is really a very basic document that your broker will send you. It literally takes a couple of minutes to complete and then you forward it back to your broker and it needs updating every three calendar years. So it's hardly an arduous task, Paul. In previous episodes, you've also talked about share buybacks and this is something that Sumero do, but I understand that you would be in favour of doing this in greater depth. Yes, uh, Samaro conducts some modest share buybacks, but this is simply to offset the dilution of equity awards made to employees. Now, uh, as I'm in the camp of those that incur the 15% withholding tax, I and others often raise this subject of buybacks, as we would not incur any withholding tax on capital growth, only income. Now, you first bought in 2016, and you've added a, a dozen or so times since then. And it is currently number five in your portfolio. So it's obviously a, a conviction position. Uh, but you want sold out entirely. Can you expand on that decision? Yeah, interesting story. Um, the, the sale was not of my own volition. Uh, back in 2016, when I, I, I first took a position, my broker was with uh, was Barclays. And they were rebranding uh, to what they called um, Smarter Investor, which uh, actually was something of a misnomer. And now I'm sure that, you know, the investor of choice for brokers is somebody that holds a lot of funds and are trades frequently. Now, that results in healthy trail commissions for the fund managers um, and from the fund managers to the brokers. And also the revenue from those dealing charges every time they buy and sell. Now, I, on the other hand, only held shares in individual companies and dealt extremely sparingly, you know, not churning that portfolio. So I'm sure Barclays looked at investors like myself with relatively large portfolios, all in individual shares and not dealing much and thought, you know, we're not getting on our first share out of this. You know, he's not playing the game. So they introduced a new charging structure where Barclays would receive a percentage of my portfolio on an annual basis. And this would have been an eightfold increase. And I asked the question, you know, for what? Uh, they wanted a slice of the rewards of my thrift and uh, what I would call perspicacity. Now, Barclays did not manage my money or take any risk. Uh, so why should they receive more money from me having a, a £50,000 holding rather than a £5,000 holding? All they got to do is type an extra zero. Now, when I, I spoke to them to complain, I was told that 90% of investors would be better off with this new structure and only 10% worse off. And that was people like me with the larger portfolios. Now, that was that, that, that was hardly of any comfort as I was in that, that 10%. Uh, and additionally, the service offered was, I would call it dumbed down. And things like broker recommendations and director buys and sales were no longer available. Now, I remember speaking to a lady at Barclays about the new platform. And she said it was designed more for those that would like, and this is the word, it, 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 I remember it now, Paul, a flutter. <laughs> you know, a flutter. You know, this this was my livelihood. You know, I was still working at the time, but I was in the transition of, you know, a, a, a long period of time of, of building this portfolio up where I could, you know, I could jettison the day job and do this full time. This was very, I, you know, I saw this as, this is my job because, you know, the, what I was, I was getting through my investments was more than my, my day job. So, and I saw this as real as my profession. Um, so on top of all this, you know, one of the, uh, one of the holdings that was incorrectly input was to the magnitude of 10 times. And I did put a dummy trade in to see if it would let me, me sell it. But 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 it but it wouldn't. Uh, if, you know, if that would have happened, I'd have probably gone somewhere where there's no extradition treaty. 
And the icing on the cake uh, was that Barclays no longer dealt in stocks that necessitated a W8 bound form. So I was forced to sell free of charges, which was one positive, uh, three pounds and a penny in 2017. So I, le I left Barclays and I did receive some compensation really in the process for all the, uh, um, the hassle it had been. And uh, I immediately, when I moved to my new broker, Charles Stanley, the first trade I did was to buy back in at £2.69. So in a way, actually, through a little bit of serendipity, uh, I did a little bit better. I was forced to s sell out at £3 at a penny and I got back in at £2.69. Okay, we have talked quite a bit about the history of your holdings. What's the, the investment argument for this one? Well, we covered Smurfit Kappa a few episodes back, and I think in many ways it's playing the same theme. You know, the slow or not so slow death of the high street or physical shopping and this gravitating online for a combination of cost and convenience. So that pair of trainers that was previously held in a sports shop in Colchester is now being stocked and picked and delivered from some fulfillment centre. Uh, if you just drive along a motorway network, you'll probably see some form of new warehousing being constructed. Now, I think for many, shopping historically was seen as a recreational activity. People jokingly called it retail therapy. But I think this is diminishing. High streets are boarded up and there's a lack of choice as some outlets have melted away and they're not really the uplifting places that, that they once were. Um, now, in the Smurfit episode, Paul, you said that you were doing some online shopping. Now, since you've retired and no longer time poor, are you now motivated to fill the car up, travel into town, wipers on at double speed, pay to park, trudge to the store, get wet and cold, queue, and then be told we're out of stock? <laughs> um, no, uh, very much not. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, people of our generation have been kind of conditioned to go shopping from birth, Mark. Mm. Um, I still remember as a child going down every every week into town on the bus with my mum for the big shop. Um, and they did have a small supermarket, but we would still go to a proper butcher, a green grocer and a bakery because the quality was much better. So the, the quality of fresh foods from supermarkets today has improved and your foodstuffs are all under one roof. But I can't say I enjoy going there anymore. Um, maybe it's just me, but I'm increasingly conscious that I'm the victim of habitual behaviour. Uh, and I'm definitely looking uh, more closely at ordering more often uh, online now. Yeah, well, I've heard it's not all plain sailing, but online ordering is increasingly popular, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I think the old school retail principle of here it is, come and get it, um, is very inefficient compared to here it is, when do you want it delivered? Uh, there's a delivery charge, of course, and, uh, and that can vary quite a bit. But now that I'm retired, I'm at liberty to choose an economical delivery slot. So, um, you know, there's a distinct difference in the nature between corrugated and concrete floors. Not, you know, I'm talking about uh, Smurfit as an example. So corrugated as a short lifetime, you know, it can be used multiple times, but generally it's single use. Now, concrete floors... Uh, once they're put in, which is Somerville's business, they're in place for a long time. They don't need replacing. And it's a bit like that bar of soap, you know, when we covered the Unilever. So uh, it's not the same kind of repeat business. Now, I watch a lot of local cricket. I follow the mighty Darwin. And as I, I walk around away grounds, I'll go past the grounds of hut. And amongst all the various equipment, there will be an old hand roller that generally needs two people to manually pull it. And they are a carbon copy of one another uh, with manufacturers being 
tea green or Bamford and Perkins, and these things are indestructible. Now, I can imagine the sales rep back in, back, back in the day contacting the cricket club. Do you need another roller? Um, not at the moment. Uh, Dara has to give us an, another call in 200 years. <laughs> and, and in Victorian times, there was a strong demand for building railway tunnels. They're still in use today, but there are very few new ones coming along. So I think with this, the only one of the main concerns I've got is will we reach peak concrete slab, Paul? <laughs> yes, I think I vaguely recall a comment about peak pasty in a previous uh, episode. Yeah. Um, so, all right, then in that case, uh, how about uh, how about a moat? We always talk about the moat. Um, I believe that Samero are the, the market leader. Yeah, there's very limited competition, and uh, which uh, it, it is the same, the main aspect. And, and, and to a, a, a certain degree, um, and this is an important word, um, is, is the ability to which they can attain very flat concrete slab floors. Now, with increasing the robotics, a smooth floor is essential as warehouses get higher. Uh, you pay for land, but you do not pay for sky. Companies seek higher racking. Now, a small degree out at the bottom is magnified. Ma the bottom of the floor is magnified with each level of racking. and multiplied by the weight, and you can see how this could have a, a, a series of dominoes going over and a lawsuit with the employees at the bottom. Uh, now, there's no hard data as all of Somero's competitors are privately owned. Um, and they don't have to disclose like a PLC, but they Somero feel that they have 80 to 90% of the market. Um, they have a broad range of products and a series of patents, and they are very protective of those. So Somero are based in uh, the US. Is it a big place? Whereabouts are they exactly? Well, their uh, HQ is based in Fort Myers, Florida, and the manufacturing is in Houghton, Michigan. Now, I believe it's it's not just a case of sell and forget it with uh, with their products. Somero have a very strong after sales service. Yes, they conduct the training at the Houghton site and have a twenty four hour three six day five uh, troubleshooting phone line. So you become confident. Uh, if you start living the concrete at a weekend or during a public holiday on Christmas Day, that you know, should your machine malfunction, then somebody will be able to talk you through it. And I believe the concrete industry has its equivalent of the Oscars. Um, it's called the Golden Trowel. Yes, the, it's a cracker, isn't it? The coveted Golden Trowel awarded at the annual World of Concrete. Now it might it might sound a bit drab, uh, and perhaps that's why it's always held in Las Vegas to spice things up a little and uh, encourage attendance and uh, it's awarded for the flattest and smoothest floor and Somero's name keeps cropping up as the winners have used their machines being based outside of the uk do you not feel a little detached from this business i mean do you feel it's less accessible i've always found their communication to be very good they report their agm online live and their results are covered in an online presentation and q a uh, most recently hosted by tamsin freeman and her team over at pr world uh, but now you've been somewhat sulky paul as i'm the one who always seems to get away and, and you're left behind on the island well i'm pleased to say that i have secured a site visit for us next year and i'm looking forward to uh, taking you with me and i'm sure you'll enjoy it Oh, it would be. So, uh, so where are we off to? Is it that Horton, Fort Myers, or Las Vegas? 
That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, I don't want to uh, pick you up in the car and you're dressed like Elvis, um, but uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's perhaps a little bit more bodice than that, Paul. Uh, we will be seeing some summer on machines in the flesh, leveling a, leveling a floor, but we're somewhere in the north east, uh, sorry, the northwest of England. Um, and I'm sure we'll learn something on the day. I've only seen them online, and they've always looked very graceful and balletic. And we've got um, Ian Jones, who is the business development manager, and Chris Dobby, who's the vice president for sales for Europe and the Middle East, to thank for, for facilitating this. And I have to say, it's a big positive when companies engage with shareholders, uh, who I always say this, let's remember, we're the people who own the business. And, you know, they haven't um drawn up the drawbridge and lowered the portcullis and i think that companies can learn a lot from the shareholders they should see us as a an asset and not a threat as investors we want to see our businesses succeed and uh, just to manage expectations paul I, I don't think they'll let you ride on one of the machines so it's not a fairground we don't want that contractor coming back from his tea break and you've got the machine in top gear throwing some handbrake turns okay duly noted I'm still going dressed as Elvis. So um, you've mentioned the US, Europe, and the Middle East. So where's the geographic split of the business? Well, taking just the last interim results, uh, turnover from North America's $42.4 million. Uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa was $8.1 million. Australia, $5.3 million, and the rest of the world, $4.4 million. Now, all regions show growth other than North America, which was down from $55.6 million. But as you can see, the lion's share of the business is in North America, and this is uh, accounts for 71.6%. Now, this decrease was, this decrease was uh, said to be down to, not down to demand, but the availability of labour throughout the chain, leading all the way back to the uh, delivery of concrete itself. Okay, and what about the product types? Yes, well, there's numerous models, but they're categorized into generic product lines. So for further information, I, I suggest that you look at their website, which is allthews.somero.com. But in the half year, they sold 280 units. So in the report, they've, they give revenue per product line and the number of units. So we can broadly see how much these cost. So what they call boom screeds, that was $24.4 million across 84 units, so that's uh, $290,000 on average each. Ride-on screeds, uh, that was $11.2 across 94 units, which is a, an average of $119,000. Remanufactured machines was $3.4 across 14 units, which is $243,000. 3D profilers, which was $4.3 across 41 units, and that's $105,000. And, that, um, then there's a, a, they, they classify them as others. Where, and some of the names there are the Somero Line Dragon, the Somero Broom and Cure, the STS 11M Topping Spreader, the Copperhead, the Mini Screed C, and the SPS 50, which sounds like a handgun. And collectively, uh, those uh, accounted for 15.6 million dollars across 47 units which were an average of three hundred and thirty two thousand dollars so you can see none of these machines are particularly cheap paul and there's added value here so those <clears throat> base numbers that you mentioned at the 
at the beginning of the podcast appear very modest compared to some of the companies that we have covered. Any thoughts on why this is? Well, the share price has bounced around over the years that I've held, but I would say that it's never looked particularly stretched. Being in the construction sector, it's seen as a cyclical business. But I would counter that parallel to the short term, there is the long term trend of gravitating to online shopping. And I'm confident that emerging markets will follow the example of modern economies as they have across a, a number of behavioral changes. Aging populations and increased labor costs will make robotics a more appealing option and they will need flat floors. And of course, they should be seen as non-residential and classified separately. This is about concrete slabs for warehouses. Now, Samarod did have a tough time during the credit crunch of 2008, 2009. And this is some 15 years ago, but I think it does still loom large in the memory of many investors. And of course, uh, Samarod had only floated a couple of years earlier at the time. Um, and like a lot of IPOs, they were burdened with debt which is unforgiving when the dice roll against you. Now, I think Somero are a different animal. Uh, they've consistently held very good net cash, which have paid all those dividends, but they've still retained sufficient uh, money in the war chest for that rainy day. And um, although I would not embrace this, uh, the, 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 the concept of hire and fire, I think Samaro are very agile and nimble at being able to rapidly flex their headcount up and down, depending on their needs. Yes, that's a nice turn of phrase, isn't it? And I believe that in Samaro's case, they have a defined cash stroke dividend policy. Yes, the dividend is calculated based on the board approved payout ratio of 50% of adjusted net income after reviewing the anticipated future cash requirements of the business. And those specials or supplementals are calculated as a 50% distribution of cash that exceeds the board approved year end $25 million minimum cash reserve. So investors seem to be in a state of high alert then, I guess, nervously waiting for a cataclysm to occur. What's the outlook in the very near future? Well, in those interims dated the 31st of August 2023, expectations were for revenue of, cir of circa $120 million, EBITDA of $36 million, and cash of $32 million. Now, that's comfortably above that $25 million figure. Now, that compares to the previous year of $133.6 million revenue, $46 million EBITDA, and $33.7 million cash. Of course, those are just expectations, but based on past history, I've always found Samaro to, if anything, under-promise and over-deliver. And they have been known to make profit upgrades along the way. Again, this isn't a guarantee, but we can only judge on, on past performance. So on forward visibility, which, which is limited, but nevertheless reassuring. So Somero is only valued at 161 million and expected at the year end to have 25 million pounds-ish cash. So that rep represents about 44 and a half pence of that two pound, 87 and a half pence share price. So in conclusion, uh, is this an investment where you're looking for a share price re-rating or are you happy to bank those dividends? 
It's the earnings and those dividends that are my primary concern. Yes, it's nice to see share prices charging ahead, but uh, that often takes them out of my range where I've, I cannot feel to, I can add at those levels. I speak with lots of private shareholders and they always seem depressed and downbeat at the, uh, at the level of the indexes and share prices. Unless they're hitting record highs, they're not happy. As long as the companies are performing and making a good return, then that's me satisfied. The share price can do what it, what it wishes. Now, compare this to somebody that buys a fish and chip shop, hoping that it'll provide a job and an income for 20 or 30 years. I would imagine their daily concern would be on the takings and the earnings of the business, primarily, and not its resale value. Okay, it's time for our regular spot question in a bottle. And uh, let's see what's in the bottle today. It's a question from Paul Ryan. And Paul asks, Mark, who is your target audience with the Desert Island Investor Podcast? Right. Thanks for your question, Paul. Um, there was a, some an extra communication attached to the question, which I'll just read out, actually. Uh, it was on, when we did the Focusrite one. And he put, uh, Focusrite, I'm not familiar with it, but it's obviously around us. Really enjoyed this one, Mark. The relationship between yourself and Paul is burgeoning with some good humor. I had assumed you were old friends and it shows. Oh. Well, that's right. We are we are old friends, Paul, but you're somewhat older than I am. You're an older friend than I am, aren't you? Yes, of, of course I am, Mark. You know. Yeah. I think who is, is the target audience, uh, anybody that we can get, really. Um, but uh, no, seriously, I think the, the people that we are targeting primarily are people like myself who are private investors. We're not professionals. Don't profess to be a professional. And... Um, also, probably people like yourself, Paul, who are, are interested or inquisitive or perhaps of, 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 of getting involved in, in investing. So um, that's what I'd say uh, is our main audience. Perhaps employees, I would imagine employees are interested in our, our take on their business as they've got a lot of their own capital invested in it. And a lot of them may be, may be shareholders as well. Um, any particular thoughts yourself, Paul, on, on, on the, who we're targeting? I think uh, I think employees actually is a good is a good uh, sector because I don't suppose that employees would necessarily go out of their way to to trawl through the financial um, news to find out how their own business is doing. Unfortunately, a lot of them only find out when they turn up for work and find the doors are locked. Uh, so yeah, I think it would be good if they if they took an interest in that sort of thing, and it and it may well indeed be the case that an employee might find it uh, uh, you know valuable in the long term to invest in their own in their own employer yeah i don't want to be evangelical but uh i would i started investing early and it would be encouraging if if more younger people actually invested because that's that they've got the the greatest amount of time for it to do them, them some good. If you, the, the sooner you start with compounding, really, it it, uh, it will be very, very encouraging. And also, and we've had a number of comments and we've had some questions, uh, but the only woman that we've had a question from is my wife, Elaine, and she doesn't really qualify as a woman, Paul, does she? What's her question? Are you going to be doing that much longer? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, I, I, I'm sure there must be more w women investors out there. Uh, there's no reason you know, they're 50% of the population. So 
I'd, I'd certainly like uh, more women to be in touch with us, Paul. I know that I know that you would. <laughs> and um, uh, do do brokers? I mean, I don't suppose they. I mean, I don't suppose anybody's done a, a you know, a, a survey of how many investors are, you know, uh, women. So I've never seen anything on. And I mean, I'm, I'm amateurishly going through the, the the finance websites looking at share prices, mainly because you say you're going to cover a, a stock, and I just want to go and see which way that graph is going before we start. But I, I, I've never seen any data on on whether it's very popular with women or just it's a male only um, thing. Yeah, well, I, I, there is a, an argument. I've read articles that women make better investors because they are not as emotionally driven as we are by testosterone and being reckless, reckless decisions, Paul. So perhaps that's a, there's no reason why you know <laughs> it's not it's not it's not a male domain. So um, let's let's hear from some from some women, please. And also, sorry, go on, Paul. Well, I, I've, I know that there are some women traders. Um, because again, when I started looking at this, you know, subject matter in a broad sense, there were, there were quite a few YouTube videos uh, about trading, and I didn't understand the difference at the time, so I watched those as well. And there are quite a few women doing that, uh, but that's the kind of that's. I think you're up against it a, a little bit with young people with trading because it, it does seem quite exciting. Mm, um, it's yeah. it, it's a very you know of the moment kind of activity, and and you get. I think they probably get a buzz out of trading if you actually sort of, you know, manage to sort of um, click that mouse at exactly the right time and 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 get a win. Um, so you're trying to get trying to get young people to, you know, to say, well, that's fine, but don't don't overlook the opportunities for taking some of that money and actually putting it into something long term. Yeah, so yeah, we've got to stress that we are investors, or I'm an investor uh, and not a trader. Um, just to show as well, um, surprisingly, or interestingly, with certain data that we've got, Paul, is our audience is not UK-based, is it? Uh, we've got less than 60% of our audience is, is, is in the UK. We've got people from all over the world stumbling across us, Paul. We've got a strong audience in places like Japan and Finland. Yes, I think you've skewed the figures a little bit by clicking on our podcast from your current location in Mauritius. Uh, but yes, we have one person in Mauritius that's quite interested in uh, in the podcast. Unfortunately, that's you. Yeah, but we, I think we've got about about four percent of our uh, our audience is coming from Finland. So um, I believe the Finnish word for thank you is kistos. So kistos Finland. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's like the Eurovision Song Contest. And, um, and there's expats all around the world, isn't there? You know, working in all kinds of countries. Just because it's they're they're based in uh, Georgia, it doesn't necessarily mean they're Georgian. They could be British British citizens. Or you know, we cover com companies like um, Smurfit, which are a forestry product. So that's something that might that that is perhaps why the the Finnish audience is there because they're they're interested in that industry, Paul. Either that, or you you you've struck a gold vein of of ex expats from Darwin who are living in Finland? It's a difficult question to answer because there's so many potential you know, people who might be interested. I'm hoping that we're going to try and provide the, um, you know, the data that's useful to them in, in a sort of reasonably, well, a reasonably casual way. We, we don't want to get too, uh, too stuffy about, about things, do we? I think what I would turn this question on its head and say, who is it not uh, I think we're going to go all the way back to episode number one, and it's not people who are after uh, sure tips, Paul. I am not a sure tipster. I'm not. I'm not a professional 
uh, tipper in any way. I'm just a, a professional investor for myself. And we put these the disclaimer on there that it's not investment advice. And that's not just to cover itself. It, it is an investment advice. I'm just... I'm just, this is like a, a diary where I'm, I'm talking about where I've been and, and what I've been doing, my thoughts. And it's for other people to listen to that. They might find it interesting. There might be something they can adapt, but it's certainly not advice in any way. I could be way off beam. People should uh, have confidence in their own abilities and they might very well know a lot more than I do. I don't know all the answers. I don't, I don't, I don't understand half the questions. So <laughs> I... But I think, and that partly, I, I don't make any bones about that. And I do think that is why we may, uh, were a really good fit when we got together with Progressive Equity Research, because they do research on the various companies that they work with, but they don't tip them. They don't give any recommendations. And that's not what I'm doing either. It's up for me. If I talk about a company, it might sound interesting for somebody, but it's up to them to, to go away and have a look at it and, and kick the tires. Um uh, it might not be for them. We talked about young investors. What I'm looking for an investment at 57 might be totally different from somebody who's 18. I might be looking for something that uh, an investment that gives me, because it's on aim, for example, that it gives me some protection from inheritance tax. So my, our needs might be might be totally different. And you know, they, uh, when people look at the, for these tipsters, there's a lot of rogues out there, and there's a lot of people trying to talk up their own book, Paul, doing what they call uh, pump and dump, where I buy a stock and I want I tell people how really great it is and then I want everybody to pile in and that gives me my chance to get out. Yeah, yeah of course. That, that, might, that, that might be me. It's not me. So I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are, I, I've said this before, I think a lot of investors are lazy. They have to do a lot more research. And I think there's something in the, in the, in the human condition forever whereby we've looked for somebody who can give us some kind of magical answer we some kind of rasputin some seer some fortune teller it's always they're looking for somebody who's got this magic touch and um they want to believe in other people they want they, they want to believe that somebody's got these magical abilities and they haven't and i do think with a lot of private investors there's a kind of imposter syndrome where i think they should have a lot more confidence in their own abilities and make their own decisions and not just by guided by somebody has been out there and, and given a sure tip. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing is, is what we are not. And I'm stressing that very, uh, very definitely that we are not um, uh, tipping any shares whatsoever. Mm. I think it's good though, for, um, for if people are listening to the, to the show to realize that you are actually you're actually spending your money on on these shares. It's not a it's not what do they call it, a model portfolio. This is real no no real stuff. So I mean, if, if you make a mess of it, you actually you actually pay a, a financial price for that. Um, you know, a misjudgment. Um, so it's not like uh, fantasy football or anything. So and that's that's that I would hope would be a value. People think well, at least he's he's actually sort of like a player. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean I've, I've, given, I've, given, I've given various numbers over the podcast of what I bought and sold, at, and I could be making that up, really, which I'm not, but um, uh, there's, no, there's no evidence of that. But uh, what I would say is if you go back over the, over the podcasts, <laughs> we've reported the ones where we're underwater on, or I'm underwater on, so, uh, which I'm, I'm quite open to, to, uh, to report about because I'm, I'm not reporting to anybody. I'm going to boss I've not got any paid subscribers or anything like that. So I've not, 
uh, I'm not under any pressure to perform in that in that in that sense. So it's it's not as though what are we on episode 15 now, and this is the 15th winner that I've come up with. You know, very often I'm talking about some stocks that have that have lost money. They might come back, they might not. So it, it's not a case of we're trying to um, make, make everything look shiny and attractive. And I think we are actually going to go back on and look at some of those. Some of some of your stocks that haven't haven't done so well. Um, I mean, only to see you like doing this, don't you? Yeah, just to see whether that uh, whether they're improving or not. Because and I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's a long term thing, so you you get blips in the performance charts. If you're just looking at the graphs all the time, you, the, the the time scales compared to trading is just like over a, massively different. So you can't really. You've got to hold your um, have a bit of courage, you know, just to hold investments the way you're getting a blip because of some some sort of external influence. My blips are lasting about ten years, Paul. Yeah, oh no, you've uh, got yeah, you've got some classically good blips. And um, <laughs> but we are going to be looking, we're going to be looking at that, aren't we? We're going to go back and take a look at. Yes, yeah, because yeah, because you you like sniggering at that, you like poking fun at, at that. Um, and let's have a good laugh into the bargain. But you've come up with the phrase where you're going to market it. You're the marketer. I thought you were going to beat me to it, but I'm going to take you the wind out your sails. Mark's morgue is what you're going to kind of call it. Yeah, we want to. Yeah, we're, we're planning on uh, hopefully having a section called Mark's morgue. Um, which will be introduced on the basis of uh, what's on the slab today, Mark. Uh, yeah, we can see. I mean, sometimes you know, like I say, they can just be, they could just you know, be unconscious, can't they? Just waiting to come back to life. But uh, yeah, yeah, we will be looking at the ones uh, that are completely passed away <laughs> and rolling them into the cupboard. Yeah, we we we, we said right at the beginning, didn't we? Real life experiences. This is a, a warts and all. Um, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly, Paul. So, yeah, we don't want to be seen to be um, sugar-coating anything, do we? No. So, Paul, I hope that sort of answers your question. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please remember the content is for information only, and it is not financial advice. If you would like to pop a question into a bottle for Mark, just post your question in the comments and hopefully it'll reach the island in time for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.